This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. If you're regular listeners to Brother From Another, you're familiar with me already. I'm Natalie. Uh, but if you're not, it's now your time to meet me. I'm Natalie, like I mentioned before. I am a host of the All Nat podcast, but more importantly, for purposes of this show, I am the creator and one of the co-hosts co-hosts of the Hoopstresses. Um, you'll see my little top here. And if you're wondering what the Hoopstresses is or who we are, we are a group of women who create basketball content. Uh, we're writers. We we do podcasts. Uh, we put out all kinds of different kinds of basketball content. And we came together as a collective because we thought it was important to uplift women's voices. We know hoops. Um, both NBA and WNBA, and we wanted to be able to um, share our voices with the world. So you're going to be meeting some of the Hoopstresses today. I'm so excited, and I'm so thankful to the mics for letting me take over the show today. So yes, it is a Hoopstress takeover, and I hope that you all enjoy the show. So we have a lot to get into today. As you know, game one of the NBA finals was played. So I'm going to first um, want to bring up one of my co-hoopstresses who I adore to death, um, Iman Adden. I want to welcome her to the show. Iman is an MBA writer. Uh, she uh, covers the Raptors for Yahoo Sports Canada on a podcast. She's also one of the co-hosts of a very popular MBA podcast, Dishes and Dimes. Iman, welcome to the show. Hi. This is exciting. I you? wish we could be talking about a win for you, but I'm good. It's okay. I'm holding up. Um, I can't say the same for the rest of the Warriors fan base, but I am not one of the ones in meltdown mode. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So the game, want to talk about it. But first, um, Steph made some interesting comments uh, in the game last night, or actually after the game in his post game. And so I want to talk about that first before we dive into game one. Let's get into it. At, at most, we only got six games left, so uh, make make the necessary adjustments. And, you know, like I said, it's about winning four games by any means necessary. And for 42 minutes, we did enough to win the game tonight. That's not how the basketball works. So um, I think everything starts to become on the table when you look at trying to get ourselves back in the series on Sunday and taking it from there. Yeah, so as a Warriors fan, uh, some of us have our own take on what he may have been trying to say there without explicitly saying, but I'm curious when you hear that soundbite, what are your thoughts on Steph's remarks? Um, well, one of my first thoughts watching the game was, oh boy, their offense when Steph sits. And so it was one of the adjustments <laughs> to play him more just right off the bat. Um, you know, when you look at their offense in the first and third quarters, Steph, right? And when we're looking at the time that he sat in the second and fourth quarters, lack of Steph, um, I think is, is a big one there just right off the bat. There are some other adjustments. I, I, it's interesting. I didn't know how, I, I heard people talking about the Draymond Green on Al Horford and how that would work, but just seeing Al wide open because Draymond is your free safety. Draymond is the guy who needs to help off of people do you want that to be Al Horford considering how scorching hot Al Horford has been throughout the entirety of the playoffs? Like maybe that's an adjustment right off the bat that can be made. That's just me sort of looking at this and being like, Draymond can't be doing this. He can't be leaving Al Horford wide open, which sounds almost crazy to say, but is not considering Al Horford is just a 34% shooter in the regular season this season, but uh, in the playoffs, he's been scorching hot. But to me, that Steph comment might've just meant more Steph and Curry. Yeah, you know, it's a constant conversation around Steph's minutes, his rotation. It's been a theme all season, right? And typically for his career, he always plays the whole first, the whole third. 
and then he plays the second half of the second and fourth. And that rotation was switched up this year. And then for the postseason, they've for the most part gone back to it. But Kerr is pretty like firm and rigid about how he runs his rotations. And I don't know about you when you were watching the game, but I mean, in today's NBA anyway, a 12 point lead isn't really safe. And that's what it was at the end of the third quarter. But even I think the Warriors got the lead up to 15. I still never felt like they were safe, you know, like I thought that the Celtics could get back in the game. And so I actually was hoping because Steph actually went out the game a little early in the third. I was hoping that Kerr did that because he had planned to just give him a short rest and bring him back in the fourth, you know, and then that's not what happened. And like you mentioned, that lead just dissipated when he was off the court. So, I mean, obviously you have to find some rest minutes for him. But I think from a fan base perspective, we're sort of like, okay, they had six days of rest. Um, And also, like, this is the finals. There's two days off between most games. Like, you can rest after the finals is over. Like, if you need to maybe run your guys a little bit more, you need to. And Steph did play 38 minutes last night. So it'll be interesting to see. But I think he was sort of saying, like, anything, like, goes. And, you know, we're going to be open to everything. So that's how I heard the comments. Uh, but for sure, there are definitely some other things about the game that the Warriors would need to fix. Um, and I'm sure like Boston's going to make their adjustments because they don't think by any means that they played a perfect game. So you have a lot of familiar familiarity with the Celtics uh, because you do a lot of coverage of the Raptors and you guys see the Celtics a lot. <laughs> um, but also your teams are sort of similar in terms of like the way they're structured. There's a lot of switchable wings and um, just you can kind of see like the vision for the Raptors may be similar to the Celtics. So I'm curious, like as you watch them playing this series, like what are your thoughts on their approach, how they went into game one? Yeah. I mean, all season I've been kind of talking about the Celtics team is what the Raptors should be aspiring to be. Um, and in that they have their, their defense, right? Like that's the main thing is the Raptors have a bunch of incredibly long switchable defenders. That's exactly the defense that the Celtics have a huge difference. I thought was a Derek white trade. One thing that the Raptors really struggle with is a lack of depth. They don't really have very many guys that they could play. And for me, the Celtics getting Derek White was just another guy that can, another guy they can throw out there that can help you on both ends of the court. You're not seeing a lot of like maybe something that the Warriors are struggling with, where if they play pool, they need him for offense, but then he's going to hurt them on the defensive end. There aren't very many guys like that on the Boston Celtics team. You have guys that can play both ends of the ball. Um, which is really important. And so looking at the Celtics team, one of the differences that I really did notice in this playoffs that sets the Raptors back a bit besides the, the lack of depth is their ability to play versatile style of defense, which is what you need from a, a championship level team, right? Defense wins championships. That's the old saying. And the Celtics, as we saw, can play a drop. That's not something the Raptors can do. They don't have a center. Um, and the Celtics are also, you know, the best switching defense in the league. It was curious to see them play the drop against Stephen Curry in the first quarter. I was like, what are you guys doing? But we heard those comments from Marcus Smart where he was saying, this isn't the Miami Heat. We can't be going that, we can't be going that low on Steph. Even if, even if it's just the free throw line, you cannot be dropping. You cannot be sagging off that much because it's Stephen Curry. He's the best shooter in the league. But then they switched up their defensive presence. And we saw how that sort of changed. I mean, you were mentioning it, that a 12-point lead in today's NBA isn't much. But something where I found myself, every time I didn't check the scoreboard, I just assumed that the Warriors had a significant lead. It kind of felt like they had control for a good chunk of the game. Draymond Green even made comments that they had control for 42 minutes. That wasn't really the case. It was never a solid lead. The Celtics even had a four-point lead going into halftime, right? So it was never a big lead for the Warriors, although they felt like they were in more command of the game. And I think that's a huge credit to the Celtics defense. One of the number one things that I looked at after the game was like, how many turnovers do both of these teams have? Because these are two teams that will scorch you um, if you give up the ball a lot. And we know the Celtics have really struggled with that in these playoffs. And the turnover discrepancy wasn't very big, but the points off turnovers was major. 10 points for the Warriors off their 14 turnovers, I believe, or 12 turnovers for the Celtics. And 
21 points off the 14 turnovers for the Warriors. And that's because live ball turnovers versus dead live. ball turnovers. Yes. So yes. that lets me know yes. that the Celtics defense was just more aggressive right off the bat without ever like paying attention to anything. I mean, watching the game, you could see that, but it also lets you know how much more aggressive the Celtics were playing. And to me, for the Warriors coming off of a few days rest, I thought for sure this was a game that they would have. It felt like they were in control of it, but they really weren't because of the Celtics defense after the first quarter. Yeah, and you know, I think the Warriors felt that they couldn't really be as aggressive as they would have liked to be on defense because, you know, they they will do that as well. Um, and I think in part, because while if you look at the box score, the free, the free throw disparency, discrepancy wasn't that significant between the two teams, the stars, it was like the Warriors stars who picked up some early fouls, Stephen Curry, Dre, like they Wiggins. Yeah. And so when though, when guys like that get into early foul trouble, then it affects like how they're going to play defense. And I think that's part of the reason why you didn't see their defense as aggressive. So I would expect for them to definitely be more aggressive um, for the next day game. I'm curious your thoughts on though, how they chose the Warriors chose to defend the Celtics because I was a little surprised by it as a Warriors fan. Like they did not, typically the Warriors, like they, it's, you know, they pick their poison. It's like, do you let the star go off or do you take care of the other guys? And they chose to really try to limit Jason Tatum, who didn't have a great shooting night, um, but he had 13 assists. So, you know, like if he's not going to score a lot, but you're giving him 13 assists, then I don't really know how effective that is. So I would like to maybe see them do a little bit more single coverage for Tatum, but I'm curious your thoughts on how they defended them. Cause I think if they, if they guard him in single coverage, then you won't see the overhelping that was going on last night, right? Because people can um, better cover their man. Draymond can play free safety better, you know, and he'll be there. So like those lanes aren't as wide open for their players to, to, to get to the rim. Yeah, um, I, I thought, so one thing is Jason Tatum, 13 assists, that's a career high. He's never done that in a game yes, before. Exactly. Um, so so right away we're looking, and to be honest, Tatum has had so many of these games. It feels like in the playoffs, like this is kind of, um, this is kind of the nature of a guy who does get a lot of his baskets off of jump shots. You live and die yeah. by the jump shot, right? And we saw the Celtics live by that yesterday. It, it saved them. Um, and so I, I think, for Tatum, also, I was kind of like, okay, he's given it up. He doesn't seem as aggressive for this for the Warriors. I think you would much prefer Tatum having 20 points than Tatum getting you 13 assists. Tatum having 25 yes. points than Tatum getting you 30, 30, 13 assists. I think that that's given. But to me, more so, it was leaving so many of the shooters wide open. You're watching Derek yeah. White in his last four games has shot 55% from deep. I get it on paper coming into these series and, and maybe once you get to the finals because you're not as familiar with your opponent, you only play them twice a year. Um, I get that maybe the scouting report, you're looking at it, you're like, I don't want to give them excuses. 30%. <laughs> Derek White has shot 30% since no. joining the, the, the Celtics. He's not a good three-point shooter. Marcus Smart, 33% shooter. He's never been a good one, and he'll love to take it. Al Horford, 34% shooter. But you watch in the playoffs, and you're like, the playoffs are a time where anything can happen. And Derek White has been a scorcher since he had a child. Yeah. <laughs> Similar to Fred Van Vliet, which is something that the Warriors are familiar with. And he is a Raptor fan, also familiar with. Yeah, <laughs> we don't like but, all uh, these new fathers. It, it seems like a theme, you know? Not, I mean, it's I not feel a thing like... that works out. So to me, just with the Warriors defense, I just thought that they were leaving a lot of guys just wide open. And I didn't quite they understand were. the looks that they were giving up there. I get that you're not gonna bank on this happening every single night, but these are also NBA players. If you're gonna give them open shots, they might knock exactly. them down and that's exactly what we saw. Um, but honestly, I came into this thinking, the Warriors and the Celtics are the two best defensive teams. I'm not so worried about the defense. I just thought the Celtics can't match the Warriors offensively because of Stephen Curry, who's an offense onto and himself. They did. But they did. And, they did last um, night and, and a lot of that was about the, yeah. yeah a lot of that was about the Warriors game plan um and I think I I think that was their game plan you know it was like to sag off of those shooters and I don't know why that would be the game plan for Al Horford because we know he can make those but I sort of get it with White despite the last four games and like smart but they are prone to have some of those games too and this was one of them and so I don't give the Warriors any excuses for the scouting port because they ended their series early. And so they had time to watch those games and see what those guys were doing. So the, 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 the Celtics just 
they outplayed them. You know, they had a better game plan and they won. So um, on to game two. Aman, thank you so much for coming on to chop it up with me. You know, I wish we could just talk more because you and I have so much to talk about. But thank you, oh, as always, for the great analysis. <laughs> thank you. Later, Aman. Have a great day. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. No, it's fun. Um, you know, you get a chance to do something else. Uh, do it in a different way. Embrace the challenge. And, you know, we've, we've always embraced challenges. It's no different. We'll embrace this one. So, no, it's not a hit to the confidence at all. Not one bit. Hey, welcome to What's the up? show. It's Hi, my man. fellow who's just, hey, it's my fellow who's just Siobhan. <laughs> so glad to see you today. So um, I, you just saw that clip from Draymond, right? Draymond does a lot of talking. Um, there was also like a really popular um, clip or like quote going around from him on Twitter also where he was just like, we dominated for like 42 minutes of the game. We'll be fine. And just kind of dismiss, you know, the idea that there's anything to worry about. And look, you expect the Warriors to speak like that. But I think mm -hmm. the reaction from a lot of people was like, um, Dre, you did not play that well. So, you know, <laughs> you maybe shouldn't be talking so confidently. Um, you have a lot of experience with Draymond Green and his comments because you do a lot of coverage for the Miami Heat with Heat Beat. Um, and he had some comments to make about who the Warriors would be playing after they clinched the finals berth and sort of dismissed the Miami Heat and the players there didn't take kindly to it. So what what, what were your thoughts on Dre's comments, his postgame comments? You know, I just didn't want to be dismissed that easily. You know, if Boston was who was gonna come out of that out of that um out of out of that series, cool, fine. You know, I appreciate the things that Boston can do um versus some of the things that Miami can and can't do. Um but I I guess like you said you you kind do you of think he talks too much. I was I like, do you think I, I talk think he too much? Because like even like yesterday I, after the game, do you think the comments were appropriate? I mean, they're appropriate for him. I, I it's just who he is. I don't know if it's too much, too little. I don't know that you can really judge it. It's annoying, you know, when it's directed at you, but um, when it's for you and, and he has reason to back it up, you can't be but so 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 mad. It's annoying because they continue right. to back it up, but. <laughs> So game one, it happened last night. Mm -hmm. I really want to get your thoughts on this series because you, your team, uh, the Heat, they played the Celtics and you, you're very intimately familiar with this team and, and how they play. And after that series, um, I think it was actually before game seven, but in one of the post games, Ime, the Celtics coach made some comments and he said that like, I think it was after game seven, after they won, he's like, look, the Heat in a way sort of prepared us right for the Warriors because there's there's some similarities so what like what are some of those similarities you think he was alluding to and did you see um similarities in how the Celtics approached the Warriors or like did they take a different approach from your opinion from what I saw they approached it quite similarly which is why I really didn't have an issue with Marcus Smart's comments like this isn't Miami that they are playing um and, and they were playing Golden State in the same coverages I was so annoyed um that Miami lost because I thought you know, throughout this series, from the very first game, they were getting really, really good looks. And and um, maybe Miami prepared Boston in the way that um, Miami runs similar things, but they just don't have um, that skill of, of players. They don't have the talent. Um, they don't have, you know, these generational types of shooters, but they have guys who have been stepping up for them and playing well for them all season. So I think um, Miami is not the team that, that turns down the mid-range. They just couldn't hit any of them. Uh, Golden State is going to hit, you know, a pretty decent clip, right? You can't play Steph in a in a drop like um, you and Amon were talking about earlier. And, it, and, and what you think is um, 
recoverable enough space, you know, D Rob, or I'm sorry, Rob Williams, you know, you being long really is, is, is a bit too much. These guys are getting the ball out quick and it's probably a good look. So, um, from what I saw in game one, um, it wasn't too dissimilar from, from how they played Miami. The difference for a large portion of the game is um, Golden State made, you know, the shots that they were taking. Steph is taking runners from, like, the elbow, which is where that little pocket of space is, right? Yeah. Boston plays, you know, plays to their to the shooters. Yeah. So you have this really small sliver, and Steph is giving you floaters from the elbow. Jimmy's not doing that. Tyler's not doing that for Miami. So um, I'd be interested to see how Boston approaches um, their defensive scheme going into game two. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about defense, right? But it's for this series, it's been really focused on the Celtics. Um, yeah. You know, and there's that the the old adage that defense wins championships, and I agree with that. The Warriors have actually always prided themselves on being a defensive team as well, and that shakes out. So, um, but there hasn't been a lot of talk about their defense in going into this finals. It's been like, oh, best offense versus defense, but no one's talking about their defense. So what did you think about how they like chose to defend last night because the Celtics got hot in the fourth and a lot of people's takeaway was like, oh, that's an outlier and they're not, you know, they they can't do that again. But they did that a few times in the series with with the Heat. So what do you think about that idea that we shouldn't expect this from the Celtics again? And I, I love that you said that because I think a lot of us as Heat fans, we're kind of banking on that same thing, right? Like, all right, you know, I see you the, the first game or so. You're not going to do that twice more, thrice more. And, and they did. Um, and so I, I thought um, Golden State's approach was um, not necessarily, I don't know if I considered it too, um, like, wildly interesting, but they 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 focused a lot on Jason, right? As soon as he's coming off of these pin downs, off of these screens, he has a guy, um, you know, in his lap for the pull-up. But he's slithery enough. His, his developed handle over the years has has opened up so much more of his game. So he's getting two feet in the paint, and he's driving, kicking. Derek White hasn't missed an important shot in the last, like, I eight know. games. <laughs> um, Marcus Smart has having a new child points. may be a part of it. I no, heard Derek that, White's too. I father. <laughs> The new father, the new father uh, threat is is something that needs looking into. But you know, Marcus Smart has has Marcus Smart being a consistent shooter from them really really opens up a lot um, and takes some of the responsibility, ball handling and shot making off of Jason and Jalen. So um, I'd be interested too in, in how you know Golden State counters. Do they? I don't know. Do they play more in a drop? Do they hug him tighter? Uh, get closer out to to Boston's shooters. Um, same thing, Boston defended Golden State in a couple interesting ways that I thought, like getting high side on what Golden State likes to make, you know, a lot of those backdoor cuts, but trusting that they could recover quick enough, and, and they did. So um, I'm really interested in the the, the coaching, the, the chess match, and, and how we adjust game from game. Do you think Boston is a great defense? So I've always been saying that. But do you think they're now being a little overrated because I'm hearing like they're the greatest defense in like NBA history. And I think they're a great defense, but, um, and maybe like one of the top ones, I don't even know how we measure that, but I just feel like now people are talking about them. Like there's some indestructible force. (laughs) I mean, they're good. Right. But I don't, I know for certain that they haven't faced an offense as juiced as golden States was like, for when the Miami series, right? Kyle Lowry is dribbling the ball on the left side. I'm watching Jimmy Butler just make direct line cuts and finding himself open. And so to contend with all of the chaos that that Draymond and Steph have going on on one side and have to worry about Clay and Otto and Andrew and all of these guys slashing and, and stuff, um, you know, um, off the ball, I think poses a different challenge than they've seen throughout the course of the of the season. I don't know that there's anyone. Um, on the East, in the Eastern Conference, quite like Golden State's um, offense. There's no one in the league like Golden State's offense, right? But I think Miami is a little bit of a facsimile, just better shot makers over there. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's it's interesting. It's I, it's I just keep coming back to just wanting to see, you know, kind of where where it is that they they take it from here. Yeah, you know, I'm curious because Poole didn't play that well last night, but he's a really important no. part of 
of Golden State, what what they got going on. And and Iman spoke on this a little bit when she was on, where she said, you know, we kind of need him for offense, but his defense isn't as great. And you guys had sort of a similar situation with Tyler Hero in the Heat series. I mean, him <laughs> and Jordan Poole are actually compared a lot as players. So it's Tyler fun. made some interesting comments, though, um, about well, let's let's hear them because they they seem to be alluding to something he he wants. You accepted the bench role this year, and you made the best of it, obviously. <laughs> you ended up winning sixth man of the year. Is it a priority for you this offseason to become a starter, a full-time starter for this team next year? Uh, yeah, for sure. In some some way, I would like to start. Um, yeah, I think it's my fourth year, so I think I've earned it, and we'll see what happens. Okay, so not even alluding. He was just, like, direct right. about it. Um, and because um, I, I do think one of the things that hurt the Heat is the fact that, like, the way that they have to play him, right, more for his offense than yes. his defense. And it's a, it's a yeah. similar thing that's happening, you know, with the Warriors. So, and there's been a lot of talk about Poole's contract in the offseason um, and if he's going to, like, get this big contract and also, like, should he start? That's been a conversation throughout the postseason. And so I'm yeah. wondering in terms of the Warriors, like, and the Heat, they're in a similar situation, but what is the, like, what do these guys need to do to improve to, like, really be helpful to their teams? And in this series particularly, what can Jordan Poole do to help his team? So, like, he can be beneficial for the Warriors and help them like get past the, the Celtics. So I think so starting with Tyler, I I'm fine if it's I want to, you know, become a starter, right? If I want to continue to put in the work in the offseason and show that I should like flat out, I should be started. He, he was missed, I think, in the Boston series. Um, his game lends itself to um, a lot of the ways that Boston plays defense. Um much more so than some of the other guys on our roster do. Um, but just, it's my fourth year. I think I've earned it. Like, tell me the reasons you think you've earned it aside from it being your fourth year. We need Tyler's juice in the offense, um, but we we need it on the bench too until, you know, whatever offseason moves are, are made or aren't. Um, and so I think he just has to continue to to grow as a playmaker, make better decisions. And I, and I would definitely say the same thing for Jordan Poole. I was watching the game um, last night. And, you know, first time on, on the stage, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, I, I saw him pressing a bit, you know, um, at a time where they were trying to, like, chip back in, either chip back into Boston's gain more minimum, momentum or, or just kind of stymie, just, like, settle down a little bit. Um, I watched him, like, press the gas, and, and the one time he tried to take whomever it was off the bounce, and, and Rob William, you know, wedgied it between the rim and the backboard. Um, a little bit of his decision making too. I think the next step for Jordan to be, you know, more consistent. I don't know if it's necessarily in a starting role or not. Um, just be a better playmaker, settle himself down, um, not be so sped up, um, and, and just continue to read coverages and anticipate. You know, he's playing with Golden State. He's already accustomed to anticipating. You know, kind of um, a play ahead. But I think from having the ball in your hand, it, that that type of dynamic is a little bit different. So um, he has he has some ways that, that he can improve, but he's already made, you know, really huge jumps. And he seems like a guy that's, you know, a student and, and wants to continue to get better. Both of them do. So I'd be interested. Tyler jumped out the window a little bit, and I think there's some other guys on the roster who might have something to say about that, but we'll talk yeah. about that in the offseason. <laughs> For sure. Siobhan, thank you so much for coming to the show. Y'all heard all the basketball thank talk. You. She's great at video <laughs> breakdown. So thank you. I wish we could chat longer, but um, hopefully we'll be back and you can talk again with me soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Yeah, that's kind of who we've been all year. Uh tough grinders, you know, resilient group that we can always always know we can rely on our defense to kind of buckle down when needed. Um, you know, 
weren't, like I said, weren't playing our best in the first quarter. Curry got loose, didn't score in the second quarter, and we held him to 22, got ourselves back in the game. They had another big third quarter due to some of our mistakes and a lack of physicality in our part, and then we can lock down again and play great in the fourth. And so we always rely on that and um, impressive against a really elite scoring team. Hello, SJ. Welcome to the show. Hi, now. So How are you doing? I'm good. So happy to have SJ on with me. She is a co-host of the 21 Going On 77 NBA podcast, um, which has a large focus on the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, she's also a great Twitter follow, like for anyone who <laughs> loves Twitter, like really, she's one of my favorite follows. Uh, so I'm so excited to talk to you uh, about this, this series, just because you, you, you cover the Mavs a lot and you have a great perspective on the Warriors um, team because the Mavs just played them. So you heard um, Ime's clip just now when he was talking about how Boston ultimately overcome and, and won that game versus the Warriors. Um, and I'm curious, because a lot of what he was saying actually is like, before the talk going into the Western Conference Finals between the Warriors and the Mavs, it was a lot of similar things that people were saying, like, you know, the, the, the Mavs are not like other teams, they won't go away. Um, it still ended up being a somewhat short series for the, the Warriors and Mavericks. But in this case, the Celtics have showed that also throughout the postseason. They won't go away. They won't go away. And they didn't go away. <laughs> and, and they ended up winning this game and, and, and stealing home court and getting a game um, at Chase, which no one's been able to do. So what did you think from watching the game in terms of the differences between like this series and how it started and just like the matchups and the scheme versus when the Warriors played the Mavericks. Yeah. So I was, I guess as surprised as anyone that um, Boston kind of um, dominated the fourth quarter in the way they did to kind of steal that game. I feel like um, obviously we shouldn't overreact to like game ones, but I feel like that's a game the Warriors kind of had to have, you know, you know, given the way it was going and the way the game started was why I was so surprised because it reminded me of the Mavs series that, you know, the Celtics, they kind of looked tight, you know, the Warriors were, you know, dominating at a point. Granted, the Celtics were up at the half, but, you know, the third quarter Warriors, you know, came out and the Celtics looked a bit overwhelmed. And in that, you know, sense, it's, it's funny because that's how the Mavs looked, but the Celtics are different from the Mavericks in that they were able to overcome all the nerves. And I think it's um, the schemes that um, the Warriors kind of deployed against the Celtics. They were different from the Mavs in that with Tatum, they were much more, um, they wanted to concede the switch more to Tatum, whereas Luka, um, anytime he wanted to get the matchup he wanted, they would not allow it. <laughs> Whether he was hunting Curry, that's, you know, the hedge and recover, um, they would not let him get that matchup. And it kind of gave the Mavs, you know, problems in a sense where they, it took them out of their game in that, you know, you had guys like Dorian Finney-Smith making decisions. And, you know, as the Mavericks, you don't want that. You know, you want Luka, you know, Brunson, those guys making decisions and not a Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, but on the Celtics side, all five of their guys, especially in their starting lineup, they can do stuff with the ball. Like, you know, Rob Williams, he's a great decision maker on the short, short roll. Same with Horford. So if they get the ball, <laughs> you know, in a tight spot, they can kind of um, do something with it. Um, and I just think the words are going to have to really dig in on defense, <laughs> like really dig in on defense because with the Mavs, it was, we were easier to guard than the Celtics for some of the reasons I just said. Um, for and sure. Yeah, and I think the Warriors, their defense just got away from them. And part of that is the Celtics hitting everything because in that fourth quarter, the Warriors were forced to play against a set defense every single possession because the Celtics were not missing. So I think their defense should get better as the Celtics start to miss, <laughs> um, just, you know, based on that. But the way they're defending... It, the, the Celtics took advantage. It was the same thing in the Mavs series. A lot of open threes. I, um, I yeah. think the yeah the Warriors gave up the most open threes over the course of the playoffs. Over the, the playoffs, yeah. They've conceded yeah. the most, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's been a problem. Even in the regular season, they give up, they overhelp, they try to overload the paint, and they try to dare you to shoot. But you're daring, you know, Derek White, who has the Fred Van Vliet like premium <laughs> like package <laughs> in terms of you know fathers and being a new yes. father in the playoffs, 
So he, you can't dare him to shoot. He's probably the most dangerous guy on the court at that point. So you can't like dare him to shoot. Same with Horford. He's been shooting over 40%. You can't dare him to shoot. So I think um, the Warriors have to get back to defense. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if you saw um, any of the earlier segments, but I, I think part of their, well, I, I think you're right about like just Boston always making their threes. And so they have to play against a set defense. But I also think a part of their lack of aggression had to do with getting into early foul trouble, their stars in particular. And so I think Wiggs, Steph, like it affected, you know, their ability to kind of play defense that the way that they would have want, wanted to. Um, but I, it's just, it was a weird defensive game plan. I thought, you know, I, I was surprised at the way that they went. So I do expect them to be more aggressive. I don't really feel like it's a game that they had to have. I, you know, I kind of expected that at the end of two, it would be one, one. I did think the Celtics were probably going to be one of the first teams to come in and steal one. So, but yeah, if you, you go down Oh, two, that would not be great. So I, I, I still feel good about it. I have the Warriors and Six. I'm curious, what's your pick? Because I didn't get a chance to ask any of the other ladies, and I want to know what's your pick for this series. Yeah, so my pick was Warriors and Six, um, just because I thought that I just think they're the best team left in terms of you know both sides of the ball. They have the best player left, in my opinion, Steph Curry. I, I just think they're more complete, have the most experience. So I, I picked them in six, and I still have them in six um it's just that that first game is a little concerning and they need to be on their p's and q's from here on out agree the leaving um Derek white open doesn't actually concern me that much i mean like he's been hitting them but it's really al horford to me like a little bit more like did you guys read the scouting report at all and in general these were not just like you left you contested a little bit I mean these guys were like wide open you know so like they're still NBA players like respect them a little bit more but I mean there's going to be have to be some guys that you can see things to and I still always think that's going to be um a white that's going to be a, a smart because like if you even remember at the end like the the Celtics won game seven in that heat series, but at the end, the heat got back in it because the Celtics were struggling to score and Marcus Smart just kept shooting and shooting and shooting. And I feel like you're always going to get one of those things. The difference with the heat versus, you know, the Warriors is that the Warriors would probably make that shot that Jimmy made or missed or like they, they would just, their offense will be buzzing more. Right. And so, um, there's some things you're going to have to give up. And normally their offense can overcome a, a lot for like the way that they play defense, but this time it couldn't. And you just got to like tip your hat to the Celtics, you know? Yeah. And um, I mean, and, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go. <laughs> no, I was just saying, yeah, with that too, um, with Horford, Draymond has to be, you know, better on defense because I felt if the yes. Warriors lost the series, Draymond will probably be the bigger, you know, the biggest thing you could point to because he has to be, you know, better offensively. He has to. Yeah, I think a lot of people are banking on like the game that Draymond had and just like, oh, he was so awful. But to me, I sort of look at Draymond like the Celtics Marcus Smart. Like, don't bank on like that being the kind of game he's going to give you. So um, I, I think the Warriors will be better next game. Um, maybe that's just my uh, bias as a fan, but I, you know, I'm not that concerned I think I think they'll do what they need to do and the Celtics don't have the strongest home court advantage like a lot of teams have gone in there and won this postseason so they'll like I feel like they'll probably split there too like I like my guess is like after four games it's going to be two two that's when I say not the strongest home court not that like TD Garden isn't live but I mean that like every team is kind of except for the Nets have been able to go in there and beat them this this postseason um I want to just quickly touch on um the Knicks, which is weird because we're talking about the Knicks now in the postseason, but like, and, and right, the Knicks aren't really that relevant most of the time, but they made an interesting hiring decision the other day. And it kind of, I think it's newsworthy. So they hired Rick Brunson, who is Jalen Brunson's father. And look, he, as an assistant coach on their coaching staff, and look, he's been an assistant coach in the NBA or like he's been like in these circles. So it's not crazy, but it is interesting that it was the Knicks because Brunson has been tied to the Knicks. There've been like rumors. So just curious your thoughts on that. Um, first of all, I'm sleeping well. I'm not worried at all about Brunson leaving the Mavericks. Um, okay. In terms of the signing, I mean, to me, it just shows me like Tibbs, Tom Thibodeau, like he, it's just a loyal guy. Like I've, if you notice, like if he has a job, Derrick Rose probably has a job. Taj Gibson probably has a job. 
And now I'm noticing that Rick Brunson, you know, probably has a job too because he coached under Tibbs in, you know, like you were saying, in Chicago. He's coached under Tibbs in Minnesota. So, you know, maybe he was going to end up in New York anyway. But, the, you know, the, it's, the timing is, you know, funny given that, you know, it's not a secret that the Knicks want Brunson um, really badly. But I'm not worried about him leaving. I just don't see the advantages of Brunson going to New York. I mean, granted, it's a big market, but a lot of people have talked about Brunson, you know, being a lead ball handler role in New York. He's still going to be playing behind Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. You know what I mean? It's not like he's going there to be the number one option on the Mavericks. He's a lead ball handler. Like, yes, he's playing next to Luca, but he's also like his, you know, usage rate is pretty high up there, especially if you look in the playoffs, his usage rate was like pretty similar to a lot of the stars that, you know, a lot of stars we're talking about. So and then granted, I don't think Brunson cares about that. I think he he's a winner. He wants to win. And if you're choosing the Mavericks versus the Knicks, um, I don't think that's a competition in terms of like who's winning. Okay. <laughs> you know, no offense, but just saying. The Knicks are always catching strays. Okay, thank I, you. Yeah, I'm SJ so sorry, for... but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming and chopping it up with me. It's so good to always speak with one of my fellow hoopresses. All right, take care. Have a great rest yeah. of the day, SJ. Um, you too. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. And we're back. Uh, I'm so excited to welcome one of my fellow hoopstresses who spearheads our coverage of the WNBA. She's the founder and executive director of Grow the Game and also a co-host of the Chicago Sky podcast. Welcome to the show, Sabria Whitaker. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. Hi. How are you? Um, you saw I'm that there were some headlines. Oh, okay, sorry. You saw there were some headlines flashing by the screen of uh, uh, the the news about the WNBA possibly expanding sooner, maybe than we expected. Um, I want to just like give the audience a little background on you because you you started an organization, grow the game, and the whole theme of this year with the NBA. And I mean, it's been the past couple of years, but there's like a big push, like growing the game, expansion. Um, you know, the there's more games like available to watch on TV and like other places to, to watch games. There's really a big effort to push um, the women's game forward. And you're like definitely one of the people who are a part of that, that effort. So just wondering your thoughts on expansion, like what cities do you think we we should expand to and just your thoughts on the news because people have different opinions on the idea of the WNBA expanding yeah um so as far as cities go um I think that right now the 12 markets that the WNBA teams are currently in is a little skewed um you know being from Chicago and being in Chicago I can go to Sky Game easily you know two and a half hours I can go to Indiana Fever Game a quick flight to Atlanta that's that's nothing for me but I want to see more in the south um I think when you think about NCAA basketball you think a lot about the SEC now and how dominant they're becoming so I would love to see uh, another team in the south I know they're looking at somewhere in Tennessee I think that's a great idea um I think you know I I know your uh, fandom lies in California with the NBA um but I don't (laughs) want too many teams uh in in California for the W so I actually kind of want them to stay clear a little bit uh and not get too California happy uh but I mean I think expansion is great I think it's an exciting idea um I just think that with some of the issues that we've seen with team travel and how it might be hard to get from Vegas or Seattle to New York. I think that maybe expansion isn't necessarily the right move in 2024, definitely down the line. But I I would like to see the league start with adding more roster spots. I mean, now it's the beginning of the season, but we are seeing so many teams with the lack of a bench and signing a new hardship contract 
every other week. And I think if they have more roster spots, they wouldn't need to sign as many hardship contracts and it will open up uh, more opportunities for the players who deserve to be in the league but aren't. So maybe do that first and then go ahead and switch to expansion. Yeah, that's a pretty popular take. And I was curious if you were going to say that, like that we just need to add more roster spots to some of the teams. Um, Okay, so let's get into the season because it's been a pretty lively season. Um, And right now, um, as I mentioned, you, you, you host the podcast for the Chicago Sky, but there's a few teams that are kind of people are talking about that are in the running maybe for contention this year. Um, yes. And the sky aren't necessarily being talked about as much, um, even though they are the reigning champs. So yes. what are your thoughts on the teams who are potential contenders for this season? Yeah, so it's funny that you say that um, because Connecticut Sun is one of them and they've been one of them for many years and they like to uh go on this theme where this hashtag is disrespect and you capitalize the ct because of connecticut it's cute um but i think you know connecticut last year they had coach of the year the mvp uh most improved player so at this point they're not being disrespected anymore i think the disrespect is now with chicago and how people are not considering them a real threat i mean i get it in the standings were number six but guess what that's how we were last year uh, when we went on an eight-game losing streak without Candace Parker, and we ended up coming to win it all. Um, so I think people need to put more respect on our names. I mean, hey, if the WNBA had to go and change the entire playoff schedule because you were knocking off top teams in single elimination games, people need to start talking about you and people need to be a little worried. But right now, I, I'm going to go with Chicago, Connecticut, Las Vegas, and the Washington Mystics are at the top of my watch out list for now. Okay, so the the, the Aces, you know, they, they had a new coaching, you know, change over there. Becky Hammond came on board and they're just like scorching. You know, the offense is beautiful. They're hitting threes. Um they just look really good right now. That doesn't mean that they're going to win it all, but obviously they're they're one of the contending teams. So what do you think about all the changes Becky Hammond has made there? I think that right now coach of the year is hers to lose. Um, I saw a lot of okay. articles uh, the other day um, where she was nine and one, and that was the best 10 game start in history for a new WNBA coach. To, to make history, there's a reason. And I think, I think that the changes that Becky Hammond is making has a lot of other front offices looking at their coaches who have been there for a while. And the expectations are going to start to rise when you have um, a new coach coming in like that. Granted, she is a former player and she got a lot of experience in the NBA, but the changes she's made, I mean, even the coaches are matching on the bench with the hoodie and blazer combo. I mean, everything that Becky Hammond is doing from the outfits to uh, the front office staff and the changes she's you know making with adding coaches and just her players is outstanding she's doing a phenomenal job and they did unfortunately fall to Connecticut last night Uh, but I think if you're talking playoffs Las Vegas Aces are in it for sure yeah and so you you talked about potential awards um and you also mentioned like the Mystics as a contender and they have um a rookie on their team who might be a potential contender for rookie of the year? Or do you think that's Ryan Howard? I think rookie of the year is Ryan Howard's to lose. I really do. Um, I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time. And I think a lot of people who watched Ryan Howard play um, in Kentucky kind of knew that she was going to be the first round draft pick. And she had the motor that people were were saying that she didn't have. And she has completely dominated. But I think it's important to note that all the, th- the top three rookies in my book uh, being the top three picks in Ryan Howard and Alyssa Smith in Indiana and Shakira Austin in D.C. They're all in different positions. Atlanta just completely gutted their team and is essentially rebuilding, but you cannot tell because Ryan Howard will take you to the basket. She will make you pay if you don't come out to the perimeter and guard her. And she's completely just changing you know, to me, the game, just breaking records with the most points um, as a rookie in like the first three games. And then, you know, Indiana also kind of rebuilding and Alyssa Smith 
kind of having to take over sometimes. I mean, she has some great vets to help her out. But then when you have a team as stacked as Washington, D.C., I don't think uh, Shakira Austin is is really getting the minutes to really compare necessarily to Nalissa and Ryan Howard. But it's the three of them. But right now, Ryan Howard is absolutely at the top of my list. Okay. And are there any awards that uh, Brittany Sykes may be up for? <laughs> yeah. So I just girl, had to Brittany ask. Sykes, <laughs> yes, this is of course. Uh, at this point, like you know, an unofficial hoopstress. Uh, you know, shout out to her for coming um, on our spaces the other day and participating in that giveaway. Um, I don't know if there would be an award for, I guess, like like a fan favorite or most engaging player with fans. But if that was an award, I would absolutely give it to her. Um, but I mean, people have been talking about Brittany Sykes for her defense last year. Uh, she went viral um, in the bubble for a huge block on a six, nine Brittany Griner and, and Brittany Sykes is only five, nine. And then she's blocking Ariel Atkins in the step over blocking, blocking Sabrina Nescu for a buzzer beater. And she's just completely changing the way that, you know, players are, are driving down the court in the game against Phoenix the other day, Skylar Diggins Smith literally pump fakes her on the breakaway because she knew she was going to get blocked. Uh, Kayla McBride and, in Minnesota right. said I had to do the reverse layup because I knew Brittany was behind me and she was going to block it. So if she can get right. consistent again with the blocks and the steals, I know she's probably doing a lot as point guard and maybe defense isn't the priority right now, but if she can get back yep. to that, that defender, um, that defender, that got defensive player of the year in Australia, I think she might be, she might really be there this time. Second, second runner up last year, but I think she might really be there to take it this year. We can't, um, you know, conclude without talking about Brittany Griner. You mentioned her, Brittany's block on her, but it's just been a story hanging over the league. And so just your thoughts on Brittany Griner. Like, I know she's in all of our thoughts and prayers and we just need to bring her home. But just what are your thoughts on how what the impact of the situation is and on the season this this year? I mean, it's it's really hard it's not, because not really more you can say than that, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I just want to say that, um, you know, like I said, being in Chicago, I had the pleasure of attending all the finals games last year and actually running into to Brittany and having a conversation with her about overseas and her spirit. I mean, like I, people probably don't think that about her just because, you know, naturally she's again, six, nine, and she's known as like right. this, this force on the court, but she is one of the sweetest people and nobody deserves this at all. No one it's at all. It's heartbreaking so. to think about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of changes I think we just with all... players and their decisions. I'm sorry, yeah, Sabrina, I didn't mean to cut you a... off. I just, oh, we yeah, have to wrap. I'm so sorry, um, I was just gonna... but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the... I know, I don't want to yeah, end I just it like that on that... Brittany, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Our thoughts and prayers are definitely you with know, her. I'm sorry. I should have given you some more time to talk about her. You won't be safe, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.